listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Good morning. That's still pretty weak. I mean, honestly. Good morning. Honestly. Let's try it one more time. Good morning. Okay, that is much better. If you have a Bible, let's go to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. Um, we are going to continue in our series, Jesus Revealed, Finding Christ in the Old Testament. And the reason we are in this series is because uh, the entire Bible is really about one person, Jesus Christ. Um, and, you know, a lot of these stories that we've been diving into in this series are stories that if you've been around the church at all growing up, you've heard them. And what we want you to see is that the hero of every one of these stories is Jesus Christ. He is the good news that every man, woman, and child in our city needs, including us. And so uh, our hope is that um, as you're here this morning, that everybody will leave filled with joy over who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. And let me just say real quick, if you are a guest, this is your first time with us, a welcome uh, my name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship Bible Church, and we are delighted to have you with us. I mean that. You are not just a number. Uh, we know you are a soul. You are a person with a story, and we value you. Uh, we love you, and we want to, uh, to the best of our uh, ability, help you go from feeling like guests to feeling like family. And so if you want to get connected, you might leave here and say, I never hope to see those people again. But if you want to get connected, there's a couple different ways you can do that. You can go old school uh, by filling out a, uh, a card uh, with a pen. We know there are some people in here who don't even have computers. don't even know what the internet is yet. And so uh, uh, you can grab a card, fill out information. You can drop that in an offering basket on your way out. I'll take that information and try to uh, connect with you on your terms. Uh, you can also email me, jared at fellowshipparagol.com. That's J-A-R-E-D at fellowshipparagol.com, or uh, you can visit our website, fellowshipparagol.com, or you can connect with us on Facebook. So a lot of different ways um, we try to make uh, available to you to connect with us if you want to do so. So again, welcome uh, to each of you. We are going to be in Exodus 14. We're going to pick up in verse 10. We're going to read all the way down to verse 31. If you don't have a Bible, we do have some free Bibles you can take on your way out uh, that's on the welcome table. That's our gift to you. Um, if you don't have a Bible on your device or um, uh, you know, hard copy, we will be sure and put the words on the screen for you. This is God's Word. Exodus 14, starting in verse 10, we'll read down to verse 31. And when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is it not this, or is it not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts and chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And a pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. 
And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by the strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry land or ground, and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning, watched the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea. The waters being a wall to them on their right hand and their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. I'm going to ask that we pray one more time. You pray for me as I pray for you. Father, I do thank you so much for each person that is here today. I know that no one is here by accident, but... We are here, God, because you have called us here. You have placed us here. And so we pray right now that you will do what only you can do through the power of your spirit, that you will take these words and make them alive in our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask these things. Amen. Any of you ever found yourself in a situation you really didn't want to be in, you had no idea how to get out of, like anybody other than me? Um, It's happened numerous times in my life. And I remember one time specifically whenever I was a college pastor, and um, I had to do a funeral one morning, and I was supposed to meet one of our other pastors, actually the lead pastor there, his name was Brother Scott, uh, to get prepared for this funeral, and I just so happened to arrive at the building before him, and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to park my car on the other side of the building, and I'm going to go hide underneath his desk and wait for him to get there and then scare him when he sits down. Seems like a pretty good idea, right? I mean, who wouldn't do that? And so um, I go into uh, his office. I get underneath the desk. And I mean, I'm just crouched down, like, you know, just sitting there, you know, curled up underneath his desk. And I'm waiting for him to come in. And all of a sudden, I hear the office door open. And I'm just trying so hard not to laugh. Like, this is going to be great. You know, it's going to be awesome. And so he sits down in his chair. And he pulls up to the desk. And I mean, his knees are like right here in my face. And I am sitting there. And just as I was about to grab his ankles and yell... I hear him ask this question, so what can I help you with today? Indicating somebody had come in for counseling. I didn't know somebody who had a counseling appointment with him. And so I sit there at the desk, my eyes just like, huh, that's not good. And so I begin to hear this man tell our pastor about his marriage issues. And immediately I, I realize, like, I'm stuck in a situation that I don't need to be in, and I need to try to get out of here as soon as possible. But the way I look at it, there's one of two options at this point. One is I can swallow my pride. I can stand up and go, oh, don't need to hear this. I'm sorry. I know this is weird, but I'm out, right? Like, <laughs> or I can sit there and I can wait it out and hope they never find me and I can get away and everyone's good, right? No harm, no foul, right? Can, so that's not the best option. So I decided to sit there. And so I just stay underneath the desk 
and everything's going well, and it's like, God, I shouldn't be here. You know, I don't know what I need to do. Like, please don't look at your, underneath your desk. And so uh, we're 10 minutes into this in very intense counseling session, and uh, about that time, Brother Scott says, you know, I got just a thing for you. Let me grab a book. And he bends down to grab a book by his desk, and when he does, he sees me. He yells, <laughs> jumps back in his seat, and I'm busted. I mean, there's nothing else to do. And so I stand up out from underneath the desk. I had nothing to say except I just look at the guy and said, I'll be praying for you and your wife. And I just walk out. And what's weird is nobody ever said anything else about it. It was the strangest thing I've ever experienced in my life. But it was so awkward, you know? I mean, it's like maybe you've never really been in a situation like that. Uh, probably not. Uh, but, you know, have you ever been in one of those situations where you're like, I shouldn't be here, and I wish I could get out, but I don't know how to get out? Maybe it was a blind date that went south. You know, maybe it was a wrong turn you made that ended you in a, a bad part of town. You had no idea how to get out. Maybe it's whenever you do things like me, and sometimes you talk without thinking, and then you say something, and you're like, that probably shouldn't have been said. And then you try to go back and backtrack and, and you know, get yourself out, and you dig yourself in a deeper pit. Like, I don't know what it may be for you, but all of us at time have... You know, situations, I think, that we've been in in life are like, I wish I could get out of here, but I have no idea how to get out. See, that's the situation that Israel finds himself in right here. Except unlike me, it's not just their reputation that's at stake. I mean, their very lives are on the line. I mean, this is 2.5 million people, roughly, who are sitting here sandwiched between the Red Sea that they cannot get around, and now this army who is pressing in on them, an army who says, we're coming to either capture you or kill you. And you see, before we talk about this situation, let's think about what landed Israel in this moment. And what you need to know, a little background information, is Israel actually, up to this point, uh, had been in slavery for 430 years. For 430 years, Israel has been mistreated by the Egyptians. They have had to work in incredibly cruel conditions. They have been treated as less than human. And in their desperation one day, they cry out to God and they say, God, deliver us, free us from this. And because God cares, he hears their prayers, the Bible says, and he says, okay, I'm going to deliver you. And so he raises up this man by the name of Moses, who he says, I'm going to use to deliver you out of slavery. Now here's the deal. When you think of Moses, please don't think of Charlton Heston or Christian Bale, right? Do not think of some ripped up, like, you know, shredded guy that belongs on the cover of GQ magazine. That's not Moses at this point in his life. What we know about him at this point is he is an aging, stuttering shepherd who is wanted for murder. Like you realize like he's somebody we wouldn't even ask to lead a missional community in our church. And yet God says he is the man that I want to use to raise up as a leader to free my people out of slavery. And so as the story continues, Moses is out one day and he's hanging out with some sheep which is what shepherds do. And that's never been a sexy job, by the way. Never been cool. But that's just what he's out doing. He's a shepherd doing his thing. And he looks up one day, the Bible says in Exodus chapter 3, and he sees this bush that is on fire, but it's not being consumed. And so he thinks, that's odd. I don't see that every day. And so he's intrigued by this bush. And as he looks at it, trying to figure out what's going on, the Bible says God spoke out up from the bush and said to Moses, take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy. And you see, immediately, what does Moses do? And in Exodus 3, 6, it says that he falls to the ground and he hides his face from God because he's afraid of him. 
Some of us have such a tiny view of God, but isn't it interesting how anybody that has an encounter with God in the Bible is terrified of his, how great and awesome he is. Moses is scared because of the, the awesomeness, the, 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 the majesty of this God. And so he hides his face from him, and God says, Moses, I'm not here to destroy you, I'm here to help you. He says, I've heard the cries of my people, and I want to deliver them from slavery. And here's the deal, Moses, listen up. I want to use you as my instrument of change. I want to use you to go before Pharaoh and to tell him that I want my people to be let go. And and Moses hears this, and rightly so, like any of us would, begins to have some questions. Right? It's like, God, did I hear you correctly? Like The first question he asks him, actually, in Exodus 3, is he says, uh, you know, to God, like, wait a minute, God, who am I that I should go before Pharaoh? In other words, like, God, have you seen my resume? Like, do you know who I am compared to this powerful man, Pharaoh? And I love how God responds. He doesn't look at Moses and say, well, actually, yes, Moses, you have actually some very good natural leadership ability that just hasn't been uncovered yet. He doesn't look and say, actually, on the disc report, you're a high D, which means you have great influence. You could really be a great leader here. No, he looks at Moses and he says, Moses, here's all you need to know. I will be with you. I'm going to be with you. In other words, what God is saying here, this is going to work not because of you, but because of me. See, Moses, you don't get it. I'm going to deliver my people from slavery. I'm going to do this with or without you. I'm just by my grace choosing to flex my muscles through you so you can be a part of what I am going to do. And so, you know, Moses hears this and, 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 you know, it's great news for him. But what I want to think about this morning is it's also great news for us because really it's the same thing God says to us in Matthew 28. Remember whenever Jesus says to the church, go and make disciples of all nations. That is the command that is left for you and me, all of us in here. We're called to go and to speak the good news of the gospel to people, to disciple them towards an enjoyable, fruitful relationship with Jesus. And that can seem intimidating, can it? But yet Jesus says in Matthew 28, go make disciples of all nations and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, an important lesson for all of us this morning is this. God never causes people to participate in his purposes apart from his power. And that's exactly what happens right here with Moses. He says, I'm going to raise you up to do something significant here, but I am going to be with you. Moses loves this. And he says, okay, good, good, good. But here's a question. Who shall I tell Pharaoh sent me? And I love the response. God says, you tell Pharaoh that I am sent you. That's God's way of saying, you tell him that, that I am the most powerful. I am almighty. I am the creator of the universe. I am able to do what I want when I want. You tell him I am sent you. And Moses is like, well, all right. Okay, that, that sounds pretty good. And so Moses is about to head out to talk to Pharaoh. And then he has one more excuse, you know, one more question. He says, wait a minute, God. I don't know if you notice this, but I have a speech impediment. I tend to stutter. I'm not a smooth communicator. I can't get up and preach in front of a, a bunch of people. And if I do, my words get all tangled up. And he's all, you know, he's trying to make an excuse to get out of this thing. And God says to him, he looks and he says, uh, hey, Moses, real quick question. Who made your mouth? I, I did. So therefore, you trust when you go forward, I will give you the words to say. So Moses is out of excuses. All of his questions have been answered. And so he says, okay, I'm going to go forward. And so as the story continues, he goes to Pharaoh. And you got to picture this. I mean, the most powerful man on the planet. And Moses shows up. He's like, hey, uh, Pharaoh, um, you need to let the people of Israel go. He's like, says who? He says, says God. And Pharaoh says to him, well, I don't know this God. Why should I listen to him? And Moses says, well, if you don't, God want me to tell you, like, he's going to bring a lot of pain on your nation. And Pharaoh says, well, I don't believe it. They're staying in slavery. 
And so we don't have time to dive into all of it, but what happens? Because Pharaoh's heart is hard, because he decides not to let the people go out of slavery, God sends ten plagues on the nation of Egypt. The first plague, the Bible says, he turns their water into blood. The second thing he does is he fills the country with frogs. I mean, it's like you pull back your sheets for bed, there's frogs. You go to pull out a pot to cook with, there's a frog in it. You go to put your boot on, like you squash a frog. I mean, they're all over the place. He then turns dust into gnats that would cover people's entire bodies. He then sends a swarm of flies. He kills their livestock. He causes everyone to break out into boils. He sends a hailstorm so intense that it would kill anyone that walks out into it. He would send a swarm of locusts to eat their crop. He would then cause darkness to fall over the entire nation so that you could not literally even see the person next to you. And yet after all of this, Pharaoh's heart is so hard, he says, nope, I'm not letting go of the people. I'm going to keep them enslaved. And so what does God do next? He does something absolutely terrifying. God says, all right, you don't want to let the people go. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill all of your firstborn. I'm going to kill them all unless... You shed the blood of an innocent lamb and you take the blood and you put it over your doorpost. If you do that, then you will be protected from the death angel. But because Pharaoh doesn't believe in many people in Egypt, God sends a death angel and sure enough wipes out many, 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 probably thousands upon thousands of firstborns. Can you imagine? It's a terrifying picture if you really think about it. Finally, after this moment, Pharaoh says, okay, I've had enough. All right, let's let the people go. Let's get them out of here. And so Moses, sure enough, he takes the people of Israel. He leads them out of Egypt, out of slavery. And here we are now in Exodus 14, and they come across their first big obstacle. I mean, they are crushed between this ocean and now this army from Egypt. What happens is as they're heading out, though Pharaoh at first says, yeah, let them go. As they begin to leave, Pharaoh says, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, bring them back into slavery. Bring them back in. And so he sends this army out after them. And the Bible says in here in Exodus 14, he sends 600 chariots after this defenseless nation of Israel. 600 chariots. That is the greatest and scariest military weapon of its time setting out towards the people of Israel and they have nowhere to go. And as many of us would in this moment, what does Israel begin to do? They begin to freak out. I mean, they begin to absolutely lose it. I mean, in fact, if you look in verse 12, they go straight up delusional. In verse 12, look what they said. They said, Is it not, they're talking to Moses, is it not this that we said to you in Egypt, leave us alone that we could serve the Egyptians? That's not what they said at all. They cried out to God, deliver us from Egypt. And yet the situation's so bad, what are they doing? They're choosing to remember what they want to remember. Right? They're in a totally different world right now. And what's so sad is if you think about it, they are so quick to forget what God has just done for them. Isn't that sad? And I'm not trying to throw them under the bus. I mean, I have a pretty short-term memory myself. I mean, um, true story, a couple months ago, I was with the elders at Hayes uh, having our elders meeting. Like, why Hayes? Don't ask. But that's where we were. We were at Hayes having our elders meeting uh, and... (laughs) And we get done after an hour, and I stand up, and I'm like, okay, fellas, like, before I take you home, I need to go to Dollar General. And Rusty's just like, okay, cool, sounds good. And he's like, wait, why are we going to Dollar General? It's like, I got to get some groceries for Megan. He's like, well, aren't we in Hayes, a grocery store, Jared? I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess we are. I guess I can get them here. And so uh, I don't know why, but <laughs> I totally forgotten we were in a grocery store. And that's, like, pretty sad, but this is far worse. I mean, the people 
of Israel literally just watched God send 10 major plagues that brought the most powerful army and nation in the world to its knees. I mean, wouldn't it just been simple for Israel to say, wait a minute, why are we freaking out? Let's just pray for God to send an 11th plague. That'll take care of them. But no, here they are. And because they have a short-term memory, God is not even in the equation. And listen, this is so important. Look right at me. This is so incredibly important for us this morning. Because they have forgotten about God, though Egypt is no longer in slavery to Egypt, Israel is still in slavery. They're not enslaved to Egypt's army, but Israel is 100% enslaved to their own fear and anxiety. And here's why this is important. Listen, one of the things we all have in common in here is all of us want freedom, don't we? We do. We, We all want freedom. In fact, we're born with a longing for freedom which is why I'm pretty sure like, my kids love to run around our house naked, right? My kids are two and three, by the way. And so like, sometimes I will, I will be like doing dishes and I'll hear my daughter, she's three, she'll be like, I'm naked! And I'll look and she's like, there's not a stitch of clothing on her. And she's just like running through the house, right? We love to be free. We really do. From, from, from birth, we love to be free. And what is our idea of freedom? It's no boundaries, it's no restrictions, it's nobody else telling me what I've got to do. It's throwing off everything and being able to say, I can do what I want when I want. And listen to me, you've got to hear this today. According to the Bible, that type of freedom is a pipe dream. That type of freedom is impossible. You say, what do you mean, Jerry? Well, think about it. The Israelites are completely free by modern society of definition, are they not? They're not under any government. They're not in slavery anymore. They haven't even been given the Ten Commandments yet. I mean, they would seem to be very free, and yet the truth is they're slaves. And what are they slaves to? They're slaves to their circumstances, which they cannot control. And because they cannot control it, they are absolutely desperate. They are beside themselves. They are freaking out. All of them are going crazy. All of them except for one man, this man Moses. And if you look at Moses in verse 13, what's different about him? I mean, look at him. I mean, there's, there's no slavery about him. He's not paralyzed by fear. I mean, he's absolutely cool, calm, and collective. You see what he says in verse 13? Everyone's freaking out. He looks and he says, it's almost like he's a hippie or something. He's like, don't be afraid, man. Stand firm. Everything's going to be great. You want to look at Moses and be like, wake up. Are you looking at what's coming over the hill? We are in trouble. Why in the world is Moses able to stay so calm when everything else is falling apart? And here's the reason why. You ready? Because Moses has seen the fire of God. Moses has had a personal encounter with the God of the universe. And because of that, he has made himself a servant to this God above anyone or anything else. And you see, that's the difference. Unlike the rest of the people in Israel... Moses is able to remain courageous among all of these cowards because he is not a slave to his circumstances. He is not a slave to fear. Instead, he is a slave to God. And as a result, he's able to remain calm in the midst of the chaos because he knows the God whom he serves is in control and has promised that he will deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians. You see, this morning, you might think you're free, but you're not free. And that's one of the reasons why most people refuse to follow Jesus. You know that, right? Like, at least in the South. Like, most people in the South, it's not intellectual reasons. Like, I don't even believe Jesus really existed. It's because I don't want to give something up 
that I believe brings me real joy and real peace. I need this freedom. I need to run life the way I want. And if I surrender this over to Jesus, things might not go well to me. Listen, what you need to understand is you've already surrendered your life to someone or something. Everybody has. Every single one of us in here looks to something or someone to give us joy and peace. And what you need to understand is the Bible says if you make yourself a slave to anything or anyone else other than God, listen, that thing will control you, and if you will let it, will drive you into the ground every time. Some of you are looking at me like, "Ah, what are you talking about? Let me give you an example. Does anybody in here remember bringing home your very first child from the hospital? Remember those days? Some of you don't. You're terrible parents. Just kidding. Um, What a terrifying time. (laughs) I I, I remember bringing home Nora for the very first time. And and I don't know if they still do it this way, but three years ago, here's the way they did it. It's crazy. You're sitting there about to take your child home, and a nurse walks into the door with this big manual of things you need to do and not do so that your kid will stay alive. And with every page, this nurse begins to read off to us about what we need to do to keep Nora alive or not do to keep her alive. I'm telling you, like, the anxiety would grow in my, in my gut. And I remember sitting there, she's reading all this stuff off. I'm looking to Megan, I'm like, we're going to kill her. Like, like we're not going to be able to keep this kid alive. Like, do you understand like, there's a lot of stuff to do. And so they read all this off, and then the nurse looks at you and says, okay, you can go. Go where? Like, are you coming with this nurse? Like, I don't know, like, you know, can we just leave Nora here and come back in six months when she's, you know, eating on her own? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm really, really nervous. I know you're looking like, God, Jared, like, grow up. It's like, okay, well, I'm just trying to be honest, okay? Don't judge me. And so, like, we, we, we put Nora like in basically this Arctic outfit as if she's going on this Arctic expedition. It's like 40 degrees outside, and it's like, you know, put more blankets on her face, Megan. Like, and she's like, you're going to, no. And so like, we, um, we get her all bundled up, and then we go, and after like 15 minutes, we finally figure out the car seat, and we get her in the car seat, and we begin to head home. And if you've been in a car with me while I'm driving, do I tend to drive more fast or slow? Okay, yeah, a little quicker. You know, probably I like to get from point A to point B as soon as possible. But in this particular instance, I kid you not, I'm being honest. Like, I was driving 10 under the speed limit on Highway 49 between Paragould or Jonesboro and Paragould because I was like so worried that I was going to make a wrong mistake. Like, old ladies are passing me on the road. Megan's like, you need to, you know, speed up. I'm like, you need to be sober minded here, Megan. There's a baby in our car, you know. And so, like, we eventually get home, and things don't get much better. I I mean, we don't sleep for the first night, and the second night, and the third night. I mean, every little moan or cough or, or whatever, grumble, like, you're thinking, like, what's going on with my kid? I remember being so anxious, and I literally had this thought, and I'm ashamed to mention it, but I'm telling you, like, after, like, day seven, I literally had this thought to myself, my life is over. Like, I really thought that. I'm serious. Like, I thought, like, I am never going to be able to make it through life again without worrying about this kid. And as I was sitting there in despair and some of my anxiety, I felt the Lord say to me, you know what, Jared, you're right. You're never going to be able to have joy and peace again if your joy and peace is tied to this little girl. If you begin to look at her as a God rather than a gift from me, your God, If you begin to think all of your life is tied up into her, listen, she will enslave you, she will control you, and she will absolutely choke the life out of you. And see, maybe it's not your kids for you. Maybe 
that's not a problem for you, but all of us have something we're enslaved to. Maybe it's your finances. You worry about them all the time. Maybe it's your social status. Man, I've got to drive this vehicle. I've got to wear these kind of clothes. I've got to, you know, maybe it's, you know, I've got to, I hope I've got to get this many, you know, I'm always checking my notifications to see, did anybody like that post I just put on there? I mean, like, your life is going to be dominated by someone or something. And what you need to see this morning is if you are dominated by something or, or someone other than God, it absolutely will drive you into the ground. It will choke the life out of you. And maybe that's where even some of you are this morning. You ever thought about that? Why do you have so much anxiety? Do you really have to constantly live in fear? Really? I mean, why do you live? I mean, some of you, you live with little to no joy in your life. I mean, are you ever just... I mean, when's the last time you were just honestly happy? Right? Constantly worried. Maybe some of you, you find yourself frustrated this morning. You're exhausted. You're disappointed with life. And what you need more than anything is, listen, guys, what you need is not just to know that my kids will always be healthy. What you need is not just a different boss. What you need is not simply more money in your bank account. Well, if I could just have more money, then I'd be happy. What we all need more than anything is for God to deliver us from serving something or someone more than him. That's what we need. We need for God to free us from being enslaved to the things of the world that will never give us the salvation and the satisfaction that we are longing for. See, the people of Israel are enslaved to the circumstances. And they have no idea how they're going to get out of the situation they're in. But look with me quickly. I'm not going to read the entire section, but in verse 16 to 31, what happens at the Lord's command? Moses raises his staff, God drives back the sea, he parts the waters, and he makes a safe path for the people of Israel to walk through on dry ground. And then as this Egyptian army pursues them to capture them, God turns the water in on this army, destroying every single one of them with ease. It's crazy to think about. I mean, Israel is a mess, are they not? I mean, they are in a situation they cannot possibly get out of. It looks like things are not going to go well for them. And God says, look, you don't have to figure this out. You don't even have to fight this army. He says, I am going to fight for you. And what is the end result? The Israelites are standing free on the other side of the sea while they are looking at the dead bodies of this army they once feared washing up on the seashore. It's a crazy picture if you put yourself there. I mean, I was thinking this past week about the images from D-Day. I don't know if any... There's any history buffs in here, but the days that, that America and the Allies decided to storm the beaches of Normandy. And we took the beach, but we lost 4,500 troops in the process, and about 5,500 were wounded. And if you've ever seen pictures, right, from D-Day, or you've watched the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan, you see these bodies, dead bodies, washing up on the shore. And what's crazy is to think that pales in comparison to what God does in a matter of moments to the most feared and powerful army in the world right here. It's a really incredible story. And what makes it even more incredible is when you understand that it's all pointing to an even greater event that would happen thousands of years later where Jesus Christ would come to free us from an enemy that we could not defeat. An enemy that is even more powerful than Egypt. Because you see, when Jesus Christ came, he came to free each of us from an enemy we could not defeat by freeing us from the enemy of sin and death. In John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus speaks of this 
in light of, I think, this story right here that we just read. He says, whoever believes in me has eternal life. He has crossed over from death to life. Jesus Christ is the greater Moses. Because unlike Moses, Jesus didn't just come and and, and pronounce the wrath of God. He came to take on the wrath of God for us. Unlike Moses, he didn't just show up and say, hey, God's going to kill everyone's firstborn if you don't trust him. Jesus said, I'm the firstborn, and I'm going to let God kill me on behalf of you so that I will die rather than you. Jesus Christ is the greater Moses because though Moses was able to lead people through a raging sea of water, this water, these these pillars of water, though Moses was able to lead them through the water so that those who followed him could experience new life in a new land, Jesus Christ has led us through the wrath of God's waters by dying on a cross for us. And then the Bible says he rose from the dead and he defeated darkness and the destructive power of sin so that now when we follow him, not only can we experience a physical life, but we can experience an eternal life, a spiritual life, in the presence of a perfect and holy God who alone can save and satisfy us. This is why, by the way, baptism is so important, which we're going to have at 1 o'clock today. Praise be to God, we're going to be baptizing five adults at 1 o'clock today. Isn't that awesome? And baptism, that's what it's all about. Like, think about that today as you're there and you're watching the baptisms. When you go into the water, it is this picture of, I very much, because of my sin, should be drowned by the water of God's wrath. But thanks be to Jesus Christ, God has brought me out of the water and into a relationship now with God so that I can experience the freedom that I can find in nobody or nothing else. That's why Paul says in Acts 13, 38, Through this man, Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything. If you didn't leave here or come here in a good mood this morning, I hope you leave here in a good mood this morning as you think about this reality. You realize, guys, the Bible says we are all born enemies of God. We are all born objects of his wrath, enslaved by our sin. But because of the perfect life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, now there is no condemnation for those who find themselves in Christ. None. Because of the perfect work of Christ on our behalf, rather than receiving the wrath of God for our sin, we can receive the righteousness of Christ. And we can experience the abundant life that every single one of us are longing for. It can be yours this morning, guys. And listen, you don't have to earn this. You don't have to deserve this. You don't have to do anything. You just need to be like Israel who sat there and says, God, help! We can't do anything. See, that's salvation. Salvation is not you saying, I'm going to be better. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to reach this level of enlightenment. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to attend a church service every Sunday morning. That's not Christianity. Salvation is simply saying, I can't do it anymore. I'm stuck. I can't save myself. God, you've got to save me, rescue me, redeem me. And that's all you have to do. And God says, I will do it. I'll do it. I will free you from the slavery of your own sin and give you everything that you have been longing for, that you've been looking for in other things but could not find. Let me, some of you right now, though, you sit here and you say, man, Jared, I wish I could have that kind of faith, but I can't. 
I wish I could just trust like you, brother. I wish I could. I wish when I'm singing, I could, I could just feel the music, and I wish I could just, you know, give my life over to God, but I just don't have a strong enough faith. Have you even been paying attention to the story? Did the people of Israel look like they had a strong faith to you? Is that a picture of strong faith? Like, I'm sure there were probably some of them that were, you know, that were walking through the water that's like, I knew God was going to do it. Never a doubt. But don't you think there were some others who were freaking out before the water was parted? It was like, oh my God, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Don't look, don't look, don't look, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Right? Some of them probably had a pretty strong faith. Some of them had a very weak faith. All of them were equally saved. Because the point is this, it doesn't matter how strong your faith is, it matters who your faith is in. That's what matters. Who's your faith in this morning? Honestly, who's it in? I pray that nobody leaves here without a faith in Jesus Christ. Sin's effects are more devastating than you ever thought they were. They will enslave you and they will drown you. Just a matter of time, it will happen. Sin is a big deal It is very powerful, but praise be to God, God's plan of redemption is much, much greater. Much, much greater. It doesn't matter where you come from today. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you haven't done. Salvation is yours this morning. You just have to ask for it. You just have to reach out your hand. You can be saved from your sins. You can be saved from fear. You can be saved from anxiety. You can be saved from this idea of performance, a stinking rat race, that I'm going to climb up to corporate America, and then somehow I'm going to be just happy as a lark because I have a full bank account. Guys, that's a joke. Stop building your life on stuff that's going to be in a junkyard or a graveyard 100 years from now. Wake up to reality. You were built for Jesus Christ. He alone is going to free you and give you what you are created to experience. And it's yours this morning. You don't have to be without sin to receive it. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have all of your questions answered. You don't have to have a really strong faith. You simply need to go to Jesus as you are and trust that when you go to him, you can have the assurance that he will lead you into the life you're longing for. That's the good news this morning. I'm going to ask that you'll stand with me as our band comes forward. We're going to sing one more song, and this is an opportunity for us not just to go through the motions and say, hey, this means that we're only five minutes away from going to Chili's. This is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for us to take this word and ask the Holy Spirit to help us believe it more. Every single one of us need to believe this truth more. None of us have believed this perfectly this week, I promise you. So let's take an opportunity to respond. As that you close your eyes, and we're going to pray together. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for each person that is here today. This story is not just true news. It is good news. Jesus, thank you for when I was 20 years old, lost and without hope, that you led me through the ways of God's wrath and into a relationship with you. You have given me life. And Father, I pray that for each person here. If there is someone here who is still sitting under your condemnation, someone here who is stuck, maybe they don't even see they're enslaved to things. I mean, they are building their lives on something that is going to fall underneath them one day. Would you please, right now, Holy Spirit, show them that reality. Help them to leave here, not in despair, but leave here filled with joy because of who you are and what you've accomplished for them. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
fall on me Everyone needs forgiveness The kindness of a Savior
Awesome stuff. Thank you guys for serving us in the band. Thanks, Pastor Jared, for bringing such incredible, freeing news this morning. My name is Luke. If you're visiting with us, I'm one of the pastors here. And it is indeed, as Pastor Jared said, an honor for you to be here with us. And we do want you to feel like you can move from guest to family. And as Pastor Jared mentioned, there's many ways. There's also another way. Our church is made up of missional communities. And a missional community is a family of missionary servants who are seeking, who are sent to make disciples who make disciples. Right now we have six in our city. There's the leaders and how you can get in touch with them. It is our desire, it's our vision, it's our goal to see one planted per thousand people in our city. And we believe when that happens, we are really going to see the culture of our city change. We're really going to see more and more and more and more people experience the freeing life that Jesus brings. I was reminded this week and even this morning uh, how in Acts, and Jared, you may can correct me because I know it's one of your favorite verses, somewhere around 16 or something like that, it talks about how the gospel went forth and much joy filled the city. And we want much joy to fill this city. And the only way there's lasting, true, fulfilling joy is found in Jesus Christ. I want to give you just a few announcements this morning. One is uh, we have a, uh, it's called Knee Deep. It's going to be an in-depth Bible study that's, uh, that Lakin Watts is going to host. Um, yeah, yeah, yo, yo. Uh, <laughs> there's going to be some informational meetings coming up, uh, or one happened yesterday. The next one is uh, April the 27th from 6.30 to 7 at their house on 4606 Prince Drive. The study is going to start May 2nd and last through uh, May 30th. Be meeting on Saturday mornings. And this is an opportunity for people who know a lot about the Bible and people who don't know anything about the Bible. It's going to cover all the broad ranges. Um, we, like, I really believe the Bible and the Bible testifies to it that it is life-giving. It's a sword. It is... Um, it, it's how we find who Jesus is, how we experience more of him. So if you want more information, contact Lakin. Uh, she can be reached. There's her email right there. Um, also, as Jared said, we are celebrating a baptism, uh, several baptisms this afternoon, and that is awesome. And here's the deal, church. We want you to come and celebrate with us. This is not a passing thing. Oh, okay, this is, like, this, is a, this is a family event. This is huge. We have five people getting baptized that are testifying to the rest of the world. We are being buried with Christ and raised to newness of life. And we're going to have our baptism service at um, New Haven Baptist Church's building located at the corner of Carroll Road and Barnhill. And that will be at 1 o'clock. So y'all come celebrate with us. Have a great time. Bring your kids. Let them see. Let them run wild. We don't care. Like We want people to enjoy this and have a great time. And I celebrate lives that are being changed in our city. Um, we're going to continue our worship and our response this morning by taking communion and by giving. Um, these uh, just want to remind you that communion. There's nothing. Nothing magical happens when you take communion. 
You're not going to have some unanswered prayer that's all of a sudden answered. God's not going to love you anymore for taking communion. This time is a time when we reflect and we remember the sacrifice that Christ made for us. His body broken, his blood shed, so that you and I can experience true and lasting freedom. So after our benediction is over, we're going to ask that you guys all exit to to the left side of the theater. And we're going to just form a line as we exit out and for you to have the opportunity, if you would like, to take in communion. And there's also an opportunity to worship in giving of your tithes and offerings. And we believe that the Bible calls his people, his family, because he is giving everything to us to give back to him. And there will be that opportunity there for you as well. You know, each week we begin with a call to worship. And uh, we end with a benediction. And a benediction really is a blessing for the road. And, you know, I always say if you would like to participate in the benediction benediction with me, raise your hand with mine. Let me just give you a reason why we raise our hands. The Bible constantly always tells you, instructs us to raise your hands to the Lord. All throughout the Psalms, clap, raise your hands, and all this stuff. And I'll never forget a guy who's sitting in here this morning, Robbie Fowler. He told me one time, he said, you know, raising your hands symbolizes a couple things. And I think I've shared this before. If, um, if you're getting arrested by the cops and the cop points the gun at you and says, freeze, hands up. What does that mean? You surrender, right? All right, now if my little two-year-old comes waddling up to me with his arms up, what does he want? Daddy, hold me. I want you. I need you. I got to have you right now. And that's what when we raise our hands, we symbolize the truth that, hey, We're surrendering everything to you, God. We want more of you, God. And in the benediction, we raise our hands together, signifying unity in our family. Signifying a receiving of God's blessing this week. There's nothing magical about raising your hands. Okay, I'm going to get that. Like if you raise your hands or if you don't raise your hands, no one's going to love you more. No one's going to love you less. God's not going to love you more. You're not necessarily not going to receive God's blessing this week. It's just a symbol of unity within our family that we believe what the promises of Scripture say. And we symbolize that by raising our hands. So if you would like to participate in the benediction with me, you kind of have to raise your hand this morning, don't you? (laughs) Just raise your hand with mine. May you find that only Jesus brings you complete and lasting joy, peace, and satisfaction. And may you experience his grace that frees you from all the guilt and shame that your past, present, and future sins will bring. May you believe the psalmist's words more this week. That God alone makes known to us the path of life. And in his presence there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Peace. Be with you.